Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. I'm going to continue a series that I started a couple of weeks ago. It's a series out of Ephesians that, um, uh, if just to kind of recap real quick, we talked about the book of Ephesians. It's kind of div- divided into two, two big parts. Chapters one through three, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church and he's telling them that this is who you are. Like, this is your identity. You've been bought with a price. You have been forgiven. You have been ex- grace has been extended to you. You have received grace. This is who you are. And then in chapter four, the very first verse, it says, therefore, like if this is who you are, therefore live this way. And so chapters four through six is about behavior, how we should live as followers of Jesus Christ, how we should live as people who have been bought with a price. Essentially what the apostle Paul is telling us is that behavior flows out of identity. So anytime I try to do behavior modification without understanding who I am in Christ, it's always going to end up in legalism. It's always going to end up in in me not really being able to live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But if I understand who I am in Christ, that I have been bought with a price, that I was a sinner lost and I needed salvation and I could not find it on my own and that through the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for me and his resurrection, now I get to live in that same resurrected life that he provided. When I understand that, I have the power to live the life that he's called me into live. So we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. The Apostle Paul is actually going to give us an application to that. So what does it mean? Like, if this is who you are, then this is how you should act. What does that mean? Well, it starts with how we talk, our speech, the words that we use, how we talk specifically, though, how we talk to one another. And Paul's going to address this. You know, you can know a lot about a person's identity by, by uh, how they talk to one another. Actually, you can know a lot about a person's identity about how they dress, for example. Like if you ever visit my in-laws, my, my, wife's, my wife's family, by the way, okay? My, my in-laws meaning my, my wife's and her, she's got, uh, there's six siblings among them. They're all from Louisiana. If you ever go to one of their family gatherings, and I'm not just talking a special gathering, I'm just talking about a, just a normal family gathering, what you will see a lot of is camo. Even the girls. <laughs> and I mean, and they're not, on their way, they're not on their way to the deer stand or anything like that. You know, they're just, this is their normal everyday wear. They love it. I mean, you would walk away. They, I, I, I could say this because they're my in-laws and I've been in the family for 35 years now. So I could say this, but they're, they're verified rednecks. <laughs> and they dress the part. All right. So you can kind of tell a person's identity by how they dress, but I don't think that really tells us who they really are. I think you can tell the way a person, you know, their identity by the way a person talks, you know, like maybe different accents. Like if you meet somebody from New York and they have that very distinctive New York accent. My daughter has a friend who's, he's from um, Brooklyn, and, and she says, he just talks 100 miles an hour. 
and he's just on, he's, he's just always going, you know, he's an Italian guy, he's always going, go, going, you know. So you can tell a little bit of their identity by how they talk, right? Or maybe, you, you know, like the accent, like maybe a Philadelphia accent or a southern Louisiana accent. There's very distinct accents. You could tell a little bit about a person's identity. But I would argue that the most effective way to identify somebody through their speech is how they speak. How they say what they say. And specifically, how they speak to each other. Like my daughter, she's not married yet. And... Uh, Whenever she meets that young man that can measure up to her expectations, <laughs> whenever, whenever that happens, you know, you can count on it. I'm going to be paying close attention to how he talks to her. It says a lot about him, right? Like he could post all kinds of nice things on Facebook and Instagram and social media and all that kind of, he could do all those nice, that can all look nice, but really where, where the rubber meets the road is how somebody actually talks to another person in face to face. And I'm gonna be paying attention. And it'd be sweet to her and he's kind and he defers to her and, he, and it's obvious that there's sacrificial intent behind his language. I wanna say he's good. But if he's like harsh and demeaning and pushing away, even if it doesn't seem like those are the words, my shotgun's coming out. He's out, you know? <laughs> this is true also when it comes to believers in Christ. There's something to be said about how we talk to other people that reveals that, we, that our identity is in Christ. How you speak to others says that you belong to Christ. And that's a challenge the Apostle Paul is going to be giving us today. Listen, this world that we're in needs it. I can't tell you the amount of polarization that I have experienced and seen in this world. My heart has broken to see people, who, who, people on, that all claim to know Jesus Christ but speak to each other with such harsh and divisive language. It breaks my heart. It's not what God wants. It's not what he calls us to. He calls us to actually model who he is through the way we speak. So Paul's gonna address that in Ephesians chapter four. We're gonna look at, uh, starting with verse 25, he says, therefore, again, there's that conjunctive word that he uses, right? He's talking about something before, and the before is that because you belong to Christ, because this is your identity, because of who you are, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Put off falsehood. In other words, don't lie. If you're in Christ, don't lie to each other. Now, you might say, well, Rich, I don't lie. But this word falsehood is not just simply a lie, like a, a, an actual fib or lie, like I'm saying a word and it's, not, it's factually not true. It's not just that. When he says put off falsehood, there's other ways that, that we could speak falsehood. It has to do with you know, every, any form of dishonesty that we use with our words. So maybe it's not lying, but maybe it's manipulator. Like you use your words in a way to manipulate somebody else's emotions, to make them feel a certain way, to somehow control their emotions in such a way that, that they, they, they respond to you and they kind of surrender to you. That's manipulation. And so maybe it's not lying, maybe it's manipulator. Maybe it's not lying, but maybe it's insinuator. You know, like you insinuate certain things that aren't true. That often looks like gossip, where you start 
talking to somebody about somebody else and you insinuate something about them and then that person that you're talking to, they may not even know the person you're talking about, but that person walks in every time they see them, all they can think about is the words that you put in their head. You've insinuated something. It's not lying per se, but it is falsehood. Or maybe it's exaggerator, like you always exaggerate things, right? And so when you've been doing this long enough, the people around you, they don't even know when you're telling the truth. They don't know when what you're saying is factual and accurate or it's an exaggeration of something that could, could be factual and act, act, accurate, right? So maybe you're an exaggerator. I think another form of falsehood would be promise breaker. Like you don't actually say a lie, but you, you say, hey, yeah, I'll do this or I'll go there or I'll serve on that serve team or I'll give to that cause but then you don't do it, that's falsehood. And so Paul says, look, put off all falsehood. Put off all falsehood. And the reason why is, this is the reason why, is because we are all members of one body. We belong to each other, we are all members of one body. And so whatever falsehood exists among us, it doesn't just impact me, it doesn't just impact the person I'm talking to, it impacts the entire body. So Paul is speaking very directly, he says, you need to put off all falsehood because it's damaging to the body of Christ. And then if you go back to verse 15, he, he talks about this, you know, like we're supposed to be speaking the truth to each other and he talks about how we speak the truth to each other. In which way do we speak the truth to each other? Verse 15 says, speaking the truth, in other words, we're, we're, to put off falsehood, we're to speak the truth in love. This is one of the ways that our words identify us as followers of Jesus. That we speak the truth in love. Not just speaking the truth. Not just saying things that are correct and accurate. But doing it more so from a, a standpoint of concern, of compassion. And so maybe we've been talking about flipping this switch. Maybe the switch that the Apostle Paul is referring to in this particular case is that we need to flip the switch from being correct to being compassionate. We need to switch from being correct to being compassionate. That I don't just ask myself, what I'm saying to this person is actually true. What I'm asking myself is how am I saying this to this person? This truth that I'm trying to say, I'm speaking out of genuine concern and compassion. And I think the Apostle Paul would go even further. That if we cannot speak out of if we cannot say truth and say it with compassion and concern, then maybe we shouldn't speak at all. Listen, speaking the truth in love is hard. <laughs> it is. It is. It's hard to approach somebody and try to say something that is hard to say. Speak this truth that's hard to say. It's hard. In fact, that's probably one of the signs that it means that you're doing it in the right spirit, that you're doing it with compassion, because speaking the truth in anger is actually pretty easy. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you remember doing that, right? You just got angry, you said it, and it came out, and that person cowered and walked away hurt because you just simply just told them off. It's easy to speak the truth in anger. It's really hard, really hard to speak the truth in love because you have compassion. You're, you're connected to that person. Back in 2008, um, 2008 for me was a very hard year. We had, church had been around for about three years, and um, we were meeting in the Corville Rec Center. And I remember, uh, you know, after three years, we had barely 
scratched the surface of 75, 80 people in attendance. And I knew that God had called us here. And I knew that God had called us here to, to make an impact in this community. But honestly, I would look around on Sunday mornings and it didn't look like I was making an impact in this community, to be very honest with you. You know, it looked like we were just barely inching along. And then to make matters worse, there was a couple people in our church that just started not liking certain things that we were doing. Specifically, they didn't like that I was preaching like I'm preaching right now. Maybe that's how you feel too, that I had blue jeans and some sneakers on. And they were like, that's not holy. That's not right. You shouldn't do that. And I mean, I don't really care about how we dress or not, but they were, they were frustrated about that. And so they began to talk and insinuate with others and speak falsehood and uh, try to split the church. And so it was a really, really tough year. And I, I could just tell you, I, I don't even want to go back to the emotions of that year. I, these people, I had, we had had lunch together. We had dinner together. They ate in my house. I ate at their house. We had prayer meetings together. And then they were trying to split the church. And I felt like they were being stabbed in the back. And I will be honest with you, I was in a funk. I was, I was just basically coasting just trying to make it through 2008. And I remember around New Year's Day on 2009, um, a guy that used to attend our church, Aaron Kolosik, you might remember him. Aaron, his, uh, his brother, Adam, younger brother Adam, was our youth pastor here. His dad, up until recently, was a board member here at Life Church. And uh, Aaron approached me and he said, hey man, we need to get together. And it was one of those speaking the truth and love moments for me. <laughs> um, uh, we got together at the coffee shop right down the road, and he said, hey, Rich, um, I love you, man. Literally, he said, Rich, I love you, man, and I love the vision that God's put on your heart, but bro, you are in a funk, and you need to snap out of it. Because if you don't, man, the church is just gonna go downhill, and I won't stick around, and a lot of people won't be sticking around. I mean, they said all this stuff, right? But I could tell he was doing it. His heart was for me. He, he loved me. He was speaking the truth in love. It was right after that conversation with him that I, I took like a three days off and I just went to seek, to seek the Lord and to ask for direction and the Lord be, began to put a, a, a vision in my heart and in 2009, I shared that vision with our church that we were gonna, we were gonna uh, you know, double in attendance every year for the next few years. We're gonna get into a new building, all this kind of stuff, that I, the vision that I shared with them and then in 2010, it came to pass and next thing you know, Life Church is where we're at right now and it all started because somebody came to me and said, I need to talk to you. They were speaking the truth and love to me. Speaking the truth and love is hard, but just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. And so has anybody ever done that for you? Like your girlfriend comes and says, hey, that guy that you're dating, he's bad news. And maybe they share with you and they start talking to you about that and you're like, and you're hearing this and you're, you're and maybe the, maybe the way they said it wasn't perfectly said, but, but you're hearing it and you're frustrated and you're, and you're defensive and you like say to them, well, you, yeah, like you've got your whole life figured out. And so you kind of walk away from that relationship for a while, but then after some time with this guy, you realize that a lot of things that she said was true. And, uh, and then you break off that relationship. And now years later, every once in a while, that guy's profile pops up on your Facebook feed and you see him and you're like, Phew. you breathe this huge sigh of relief and say thank you to your friend for speaking the truth in love, right? Speaking the truth in love is hard. 
But just because it's hard doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. So we should speak truthfully to one another, but doing this effectively is really in the tone, how we do it, right? How do you say truth to one another? How do you say what you say to one another? I've heard it said this way, that how you say what you say, that is your tone, will determine whether you build a wall or build a bridge. I know that I'm talking about stuff that's very common sense and very obvious, like you're hearing it, you're like, yeah, of course, of course, right? Now, it doesn't mean that we follow it. It just means that we know it's right. Like, I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you recently have, have uh, built a wall in a conversation with somebody? Don't raise your hand. Right? Because you're speaking truth, but you're not doing it with, with a proper tone. So speaking the truth, speaking the truth with love and doing it with compassion is really... an is evidence of our identity in Christ. He goes on, verse 26, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. But it seems like Paul here is shifting from the things that we say, the words that we speak to the emotions that we feel, right? And it might sound like, it might seem like he's making a complete 180. It's like a complete turn. He's just going in a different direction. But the truth is that Paul is connecting the two. Because many of us know that there's a lot of uh, hurtful words that we say out of anger, right? There's a lot of things that we see that's, a, that's as a result of a, of a heated conversation or a heated argument with your wife or your husband. And you say some things that are very, very hurtful. So Paul's saying, listen, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on, while you're still angry and do not give devil a foothold. And maybe what Paul is trying to tell us is that we need to switch from impulsive reacting to intentional responding. And I get that. Just ask my wife. No, don't ask her, actually. I'd, I'd be embarrassed. Don't ask her at all. But if you talk to my wife, she'd tell you, oh yeah, I've been on the receiving end of some very sinful, hurtful words from, from Rich because I was impulsively reacting and not intentionally responding. It's interesting that when we talk about uh, like emotional pain, we oftentimes speak about it in the, in, with words of, that, that talk about physical pain, right? Like he broke my heart. Okay, not, like, not literally. Like he didn't literally break your heart, but you're communicating an emotional pain that you've, that you've experienced. That person broke your heart, right? Or when he said that to me, it was like a gut punch. Like you took the wind out of you, right? Not literally. You didn't, like when he said that, you just literally lost your wind. That's not what he's saying. We use that language oftentimes. And the reason why is because that's the best way to describe it, right? What's interesting is that um, scientists have actually studied this. They've studied how the brain reacts, how the brain reacts to both emotional pain and physical pain. And to just kind of move along here because my time is, is, is going, um, they have determined that if you took a scan of a person who, say, broke their arm and then a scan of a person who just had a broken relationship and the, the, way that, the way that the brain is impacted by it, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the two scans. That somehow a, a broken arm feels the same way as a broken heart. And so I say all of that so that we can understand that our words have weight. Our words are capable of hurting. That thing that you heard growing up 
Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That is a lie. Okay? That is a lie. It's easy to dismiss careless words we speak. Say things like, well, I didn't mean it. Well, I'm sorry. As if that completely heals the wound. It's like me walking up and putting a knife in your belly and then say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And then the wound just magically gets well. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way, does it? There's intentionality needed. There's, there's time needed. It requires attention. It requires healing. It requires time. And so we have to be careful with the words that we speak. <clears throat> Our words have that kind of power. A psalm that oftentimes has really helped me with this is Psalm, chapter, psalm 4, verse 4. This is King David speaking. In the ESV, he says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Like Paul, he doesn't say don't be angry. That's impossible. We're going to be angry. But he says, in your anger, don't sin. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Some very practical verses here the, apostle, uh, the, the psalmist is telling us here. He said, look, when you're going to get angry, which is going to happen, right? We're all going to get angry. We're all going to experience anger at some point. Maybe you've experienced plenty of anger in the past. We're all going to experience anger. But when that happens, do not sin. And then he tells us, hey, go lie down. Like, really, like a posture thing. Like when you get angry, just, just change your posture. Now, I realize that there's some of you, you're like, Pros, you're like experts at staying angry. Experts. Doesn't matter if you lie down, you stand up, you jump, you flip, whatever. You're just going to stay angry. You're an expert at staying angry. But I think the psalmist is telling us something, uh, something very important here this morning. That our posture matters. And so when we start feeling this stuff welling up inside of us, that we should change our posture. Maybe it is lie down. Maybe it is sit down. Maybe it's when you feel like the argument, it's, it's an argument starting to escalate. You're about to say some things you shouldn't say. Maybe it's just walk out the door and take a walk. How many of you have done that before? Right? Change your posture. Um, he, goes, he says, ponder in your hearts. In other words, stop and think, why do I feel this way? Where is this coming from? Where is this anger coming from? What's happening inside of me? I know for me this has happened before as well where I've had to stop and ask. There's this anger that's inside of me and it's just right beneath the surface and you don't, you don't experience it. None of you experience it. Only my wife gets to see it, unfortunately. I explode on her. I get angry. And I've had to use this psalm to step back and ask myself, why, why is this happening? Why am I so angry? What's going on inside me? What I've discovered that oftentimes my anger is connected to fear. Fear of failure fear of being inadequate. I've been afraid of, you know, I mean, like I've been blowing it as a pastor, blowing it as a husband, blowing it as a dad. And so I'm feeling these things of inadequacy and it's just surfacing up as anger. And so I had to stop and I had to ponder, okay, where is this coming from? I had to change my posture. Listen, anger can really mess with your relationships. It really can. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 27 of Ephesians 4, he says, and don't give the devil a foothold. <clears throat> I like how um, the New Living Translation puts it. It says, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. That when you're angry, here's what you're doing. You're actually giving him permission to set up camp in your relationship. 
You're giving the devil permission to set up camp in your relationship. That's why the apostle says, Apostle Paul says, hey, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let that happen. Doesn't mean that you have to deal with it right then. You can't wait till the morning, but don't let it fester. Because if you let it fester, here's what's gonna happen. Satan is setting up camp in your relationship. Verse 29 He goes, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There should be no unwholesome talk coming out of our mouths. And when we think of unwholesome talk, uh, it's, it's easy to think unwholesome talk means cursing, you know, curse words, like don't curse. You can ask my family, I never curse. Others, others around me have, but I don't. <laughs> you didn't catch that. That was supposed to be a joke. Now, now you guys are going to think it's serious. It's not serious. Um, but yeah, but you know, like this is what we think. Unwholesome talk means don't curse. So we've used this verse in the past to tell our kids, hey, no unwholesome talk. Don't cuss, right? That's a good, that's a good application of this verse. But there's actually another application because this word unwholesome oftentimes refers not so much to the things that we say, but the things that we smell. So this word is oftentimes used for how something smells. And a good word picture would be like, imagine you have a refrigerator. You ever done this? You have a refrigerator, it's full of beautiful, fresh fruit and vegetables, but you open it up and it stinks. You're like, what in the world is in here? And it looks, everything looks great on the surface, but there's that tomato that fell behind the drawer and you don't see it and it's been there for about six months and it's just stinking the whole thing up. And this is really what he's, what he's referring, to, referring to. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. It means you can have a refrigerator full of fresh fruit and all that stuff, but if there's that rotting vegetable there, it's gonna stink it all up. So get rid of it, get rid of it. <clears throat> Proverbs 15, 28, I love this. It says, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers. A righteous person recognizes that certain words have more weight than other words. And oftentimes this refers more to the kind of relationship I have with a person. Like I can walk up as a regular civilian person to a person who's maybe having a, a heart attack and walk up to them and start saying, hey, this is what you should do. This, you know, and I give them medical advice. And you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, hey, are, are you a doctor? And I'm going to say, no, 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 but I've read a lot. They're going to like, I don't want to listen to you. Your words have no weight in my life, right? So we know that, right? We know that there are words that we speak to certain people that carry more weight than others. Things that, you, that I might say to one person doesn't mean anything as much as when you say that to that one person. Words carry weight. And so doc, dads, you know, don't underestimate. Don't underestimate the power of I love you to your sons and your daughters. It carries weight. And not just when they're little children, but when they're adults as well. I, I, I tell my sons I love you, you know. I don't get all mushy about it. Because my son's there. I don't want to... He's like, Dad, don't embarrass me. And he's like 34 years old, 33 years old. Like, <clears throat> but there's power behind that. Our words carry weight. And so there are people in your life where your words carry weight. It carries all kinds of weight. It has the power to 
build, it has a power to destroy. Don't underestimate the power of your words. And so Paul says in verse 20, he says, say what is useful for building up. So it's like this imagery of a construction zone. Like your relationships with other people are construction zones. And the tools that you have at your disposal, at your disposal are words. Now, you can use those words, and see, many of you, many of us, what we do is we have a toolbox, and we have a relationship, and we reach in the toolbox, and we want to we fix this relationship, so we get out the sledgehammer, and we're just going to beat this thing down. And instead of building up, it's actually tearing down. Our words have power. And so what if, what if you started your day by recognizing hey, I'm gonna be meeting these number of people today. I'm gonna be interacting with these people in my office. I'm gonna be interacting with my children in the morning. And what if before all that happens, you woke up and you said to yourself, what words can I speak that will build them up today? What do they need to hear from me that will actually improve their life? What if we did that, right? I mean, wouldn't it be great if that's how we lived? And so Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying, this is your identity, so live this way. Make sure that you speak truthfully and with compassion and concern to those around you. Build them up. Now, I would love if there was a switch. We're talking about switches here, right? Our, our whole series is about switches and stuff. I'd love if there was a switch that when, like, you came to church here on a Sunday morning and like, man, I'm, in fact, maybe some of you actually came here for that reason. You come to church on a Sunday morning and you just want Pastor Rich to say just the right thing. So you flip the switch and suddenly you don't have that problem anymore. Like it's all gone, right? Like last, last week we had water baptisms and, and, and people got baptized and the language that we use for water baptism is the old is gone and the new has come. Wouldn't it be awesome that a person gets dunked in water, they come out of water and the day before, they were like angry and hostile and all that. And then the next day, they're just never, they just, from now on, they're never angry. They never raise their voice. They never fight with their, with their spouse. Like everything is perfect because they were water baptized. Wouldn't it be awesome if that's a switch that we could flip, a spiritual switch that we could flip in our lives? That today, I've just made a decision, from now on, it's not gonna happen. But it's not how it works. You see, Speaking the truth in love is like learning a new language. I, I, um, I, you know, some of you know this, I speak three different languages. I speak Spanish and English rather fluently because I grew up with it. So my, as a kid, uh, my mother's Panamanian, my dad's American, so I spoke English and Spanish simultaneously, so I was able to pick it up. It's not, no, no, no hard work, no difficulty, just pretty much I learned how to speak both languages at the same time. But in our 30s, in my 30s, I, we moved to Bangladesh as missionaries, and I had to learn a third language, Bengali. And uh, that, on the other hand, was a lot of work. That took a lot of intentionality, it took a lot of practice, it took a lot of effort, studying, making mistakes, saying things like, like balish and bilash, those two words in Bengali, one means, one means pillow, the other one means comfort. And, uh, you know, you don't say to a young girl in your youth group, hey, can I have some bilash? Because you're asking for, you thought you're asking for a pillow, but instead you're asking for comfort. That just doesn't, doesn't work, right? And so making a lot of mistakes like that. And so I learned, you know, you learn through making these mistakes how to speak this new language. And so speaking this new language of love is gonna take work. It's gonna take effort. It's gonna take time. It's gonna take intentionality. But because you belong to Christ, you're willing to do it. 
I love how this whole passage ends. Verse 31. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So Paul gives this list of things. It just, you know, just like a total list. Just get rid of all this stuff. And the reason why is because you have received something from God. Get rid of it all because you have been forgiven. Get rid of it all because you have received compassion. And so what Paul is telling us, because we are, our identity is in him, because we belong to Christ, because we are followers of Jesus, or like the language that Pastor Jairus used last week, we are apprentices of Christ, apprentices of Jesus, that we should live this way, right? Letting grace flow through us and overflow in us. Listen, our words have weight. I ask you to stand. We're going to bring our service to an end here. Our words have weight. And I know that as I was talking about this, I'm sure I'm speaking to you about how we as a follower of Jesus should speak truthfully to one another. We should have compassion and concern and love for each other. I get it. But I imagine that there's some of you that walked in as I was talking about this, all you can think about is all the verbal abuse that you have received over the years in your own life. The hurt, the words have been spoken to you that have just pushed you down. And so maybe there's bitterness. Maybe there's heartache. Maybe the last thing you want to talk about is loving another person that's hurt you that way. And I get that. And I don't pretend to tell you that, hey, today, after today's service, you should be okay. That's not what I'm saying. But I do want to say this that that person's words of, had weight to destroy you, to bring you down, to affect your self-esteem, to make you feel like you're nobody. Yes, it had that power, but guess what? There is another one whose words also have weight, and that's our Heavenly Father. And he speaks love to you, that when somebody says to you, you're worthless, you're no good, he says, you're beautiful, you're precious, I've bought you with a price. And he loves you, and he cares for you, and he longs to have relationship with you. And so if you're here today, whether you are somebody that needs to practice speaking truthfully and in love, that needs to learn how to, how to take all kinds of unwholesome talk out of your life, if that's where you are today, you need to, I want to pray for you. But also if you're here today because you've been on the receiving end of all of that, because you've been beat down with words, you've been destroyed with words, I want you to know that there is love that comes from our Father. And that's why Paul can say, forgiving others just as you have been forgiven. Until we recognize that, it's so hard to forgive. But until we recognize that I have been forgiven, I have received grace, therefore I can forgive. Amen.